Hey everybody, it's Tommy. Just hopping on before we get started to let you know that this is the first part of a two-part episode with our dear friend Tina Strawn. Um, this podcast, this conversation was such a blessing. Um, and in my opinion, I think it is a demonstration of what permission to be is all about showing up authentically how you are. Uh, we talk about a lot, um, but we start off this particular episode talking about the world and inviting what we're feeling into the conversation as it relates to COVID-19, um, social isolation. And so we hope that whatever it is that you're experiencing that um, you'll find some sort of encouragement in the words here in the conversation um, so yeah may you be well may you be healthy and we love you hello and welcome to permission to be i'm your host becca epley joined today by my good friend and co-host tommy allgood permission to be exists to be a space of hope for those journeying to find their true authentic selves we hope that the story shared here will inspire you on your own journey and help you unlock the permission to be who you have always truly been Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. I'm your co-host, Becca Epley, and joining me today is my good friend and fellow co-host, Tommy Allgood. Hey, y'all. I hope you are taking care of yourselves amid our uh, social isolation that has finally reached the West. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Today we have, I'm really excited about this conversation. Um... Over the past few weeks, the last couple months, we've been cultivating a relationship with a really amazing, phenomenal uh, woman, Tina Strong, and we love to introduce you to her today. Hey, Tina, uh, can you tell us about yourself and your pronouns? And yeah, just just give us a riff. Welcome to the welcome to permission to be. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Becca, as well, both of you for having me. Um, I am Tina Strawn, and my pronouns are she, her. And I am, I'm in this moment and in this space. And that's honestly just what is coming to my mind right now, that I am working on mm. being a complete and total mess currently in <laughs> this climate and in the wake of COVID-19 and it's taking me um, to the edges of my sanity. Mm. So I've got to be honest about that. Um, Amen. Amen. (laughs) So that's, that's kind of the, the, the messy yet real too real uh, TMI version. So I guess to answer the question, I I can share what I do. Some of the things that I do, I am an anti-racism educator. I'm a coach and a consultant I am also a podcaster. I have a speaking, I have the podcast Speaking of Racism along with my co-host Jen Kitty. And I am the founder of something called Legacy Trips. And Legacy Trips are three-day anti-racism and yoga trips where we visit the Lynching Memorial, also known as the Mm -hmm. National Memorial for Peace and Justice, and the Legacy Museum from Enslavement to Mass Incarceration. So I take folks 
to Montgomery, Alabama. Those are both projects of the Equal Justice Initiative. And we spend three days visiting the Memorial Museum, and we use the practice and philosophy of, of yoga as tools to dismantle racism. So that's a little bit about what I do. Mm, that is so awesome. Thank you. Thank you, my dear sister. Um, Becca, I was actually listening to uh, the interview you and David did with Lynn Tonstad earlier, and mm-hmm. I got to thinking, I wanted to also start and begin asking this question because I think it's a great when we talk about being anti-racist on the podcast and inviting different culture. And I, I was really hesitant to ask this question first, but I think it gives us an opportunity to invite a different cultural aspect to mm-hmm. so, with some of our view, uh, some of our guests. But um, on, when you and David are usually together, you ask the question about if you could choose one person to pay to play you in your life biopic, um, who would that be and why, Tina? (laughs) (laughs) Tina's like, holy shit. (laughs) Folks, we did not prep Tina. (laughs) Not at all. So you guys get authentic permission to be today. We we were like, we we all got on the call before this and we were like, we all feel like a hot mess that we rescheduled. We're like, no, no, we're just going to be, we're just going to be, we're just going to be. Okay. We're just going to be. So thank you for permission to be. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of sitting with that question and and my, every alarm in my brain is going off of like, I don't know the answer to this. (laughs) Um, That's a great answer. I'm not gonna lie. You give me some Lauren Hill vibes every, you know, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, all right. yeah. I guess. Well, it's like, all right, yeah. I can see some the the misdemeanor. <laughs> Wait, the what? How was that album called? The <laughs> the mis miseducation of Lauren Hill or the mis? Uh, I, I forgot. That, that right. is that that was Lauren's um, album. Yeah, the uh-huh. miseducation of Lauren Hill. <laughs> Yeah. Were you in elementary school, Tommy, when that came out? Uh, I was, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was like, you don't know that album. (laughs) That was a fabulous album. I I was, I want to say, pregnant with my third child when that album came out. I remember that very specifically because I'm just going to, because I don't have an answer to your question, I'm just going to derail the question and go in the direction. Uh, I remember I was married to my ex-husband and we were expecting our third child. And that was a gift that he brought home for me. Um, just randomly was, was the notification. Oh, no. So yeah, that's that's awesome. It's a good memory. I was, I wasn't in elementary school. another. (laughs) All right. There's your, there's your homework audience. You got to go look up the miseducation of Lauren Hill. If you don't know about it, boom. And something we normally don't do in a podcast land um, is we don't timestamp it when we're talking, but I just want to timestamp this because our world is in a place that uh, we're not normally in. So, y'all, it is um, Monday, March 16th, and Mm -hmm. um, in the U.S., we are still on the uphill climb of the virus, I personally believe, Mm -hmm. um, meaning we have not peaked. And so I just want to put that out there to give you kind of some frame of um, context. And, you know, if we make comments or you understand why we are just um, (laughs) 
our brains are kind of jumbled because there's so much not going on and so much going on all at the same time. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to throw that in real quick. Tommy, where were you going? <laughs> no, I, I, I think that's, I think, you know, I think it's healing to sit in a space where we're able to uh, process. I think, you know, um, a lot of people use humor to process through this mm-hmm. time. And um, I think that's okay. Uh, I think that's okay in your social settings. Uh, I think we want to be mindful of information that we are um, putting out into the public sphere, that we're not spreading misinformation, that we're not minimizing a very serious situation, that we are being good neighbors and, and, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Um, and so as a nurse, what that means, I, uh, I hope that everyone's taking social isolation very seriously, um, mm-hmm. but also in taking that, that we're not hoarding resources and that we are looking to those that might not have, especially uh, making sure that our marginalized communities, that we're, that we're mindful of our friends who might be disabled or immune compromised and make sure that we're checking on them and making sure that we're keeping a safe mm-hmm. distance from them. And so there's there's a lot of heaviness that comes along with it but at the same time we're still human and our needs don't change so we need to have rest and reprieve and joy and laughter in all this and so um, we don't we say that we're going to be ourselves we hope we don't say anything that is offensive um, but we're, we're truly going to be with each other and be in community and hopefully set an example of what that that looks like and so um, if you need more information you know uh <clears throat> Uh, one, if you feel sick, go see your doctor. <laughs> this is not medical advice or anything. So all legal disclaimers that's supposed to be in place. Where, yeah. But um, also make sure you're checking the CDC website regularly for updates mm-hmm. or any new information. So, And right now, the purpose of social isolation, just to rip on it for from a nursing perspective, is what we're trying to do in the medical world. When we look at... Um, epidemiologists and and disease control, there's a lot of disease command centers that have been established. And we're trying to make sure that as the disease curve goes, that we make sure that that stays in alignment with the resources that we have in in hospital settings, that we have enough ventilators for people who might uh, have more critical symptoms of that. And so it's really important to take this time seriously, but also uh, not so seriously that we get into this craze of where we're just hoarding resources or we're being selfish um, or operating out of a place that's not rooted in love either. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're at home and, and you want some silliness and want to go see a 40-year-old on TikTok, you can look up Becca Epley on TikTok. That's some <laughs> good times. I'm right there. <laughs> um, oh... So, I mean, back to you, Tina, like, uh, thank you just so much for showing up authentically and, and being honest about how you're feeling. Um, you even said, you said so much even in your intro that like, I just want to like touch on and riff on. And so you, you alluded to your Mm -hmm. ex-husband, um, and like, tell us, tell us a little bit more about you and, and yeah. And some of those things that are swimming around and what's coming up for you right now. Mm. Thank you for asking that. Um, I, I want to acknowledge just first of all, 
that you two are cultivating a space that I feel is very special in mm-hmm. even in just in the title permission to be mm-hmm. because it's almost impossible or from my perspective it was almost impossible for me to show up any other way mm-hmm. than just being myself I, I I feel like that has that's an intentional um, thing that you all are creating so just thank you um, even just with your care and listening to me and picking up on that that was certainly not a memory that we, t- you know, I-, I had no idea that was going to get pulled out, that we were going to pull out a little Lauren Hill and that was going <laughs> to talk about my ex-husband. Like, like- <laughs> you can say whatever you want, language and all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. Thank yep, you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my co-host edits out my F-bombs. So <laughs> oh, no, we'll leave, we, we leave our F-bombs in and, and we just mark it explicit. So we're, we're good to say fuck you. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> Not that I plan to, but just good to know that I don't have to suppress it if the, yeah, the, yeah, the need yeah. arise, arises for me to drop that. You're good. You're um, good. Everyone's why you a good F-bomb, you know? It's all good. You know, always got to throw it in there sometimes. You know, I, I, I come from a very religious background. I'll, I'll start there. I am a preacher's daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I come from a family of preachers. I come from a family of church folk. And mm. so being in church, what felt like as a child every single day, and certainly maybe not literally every day, but that is, of course, what it felt like, um, as well as K, the better part of kindergarten through eighth grade for me was Christian mm. private schools. So mm. I have a very strong sense of um, uh, my foundation is very steeped in religion, um, and in, in particular evangelical, um, conservative Christianity. Um, and we were fundamentalists. Um, so mm. I come from that background and that experience. And here I am today, complete, I, I don't, um, subscribe to any particular organized religion, my, my faith and my spiritual life, my spiritual walk, my spiritual path and practices are apart from any, you know, uh, from Christianity. Um, and, yeah. and that has been a process for me. Uh, and it, yeah. it has of course shaped, you know, also contributed to shaping who I am. Um, I was married to my ex-husband for about 11 years and mm-hmm. he and I had three children together, have three children together. But what I will share is that we were divorced. We were, we got divorced. I don't remember the year. It's been many, many years now. But all of that to say, I'm even mentioning that because he passed away. Um, it'll be four years this year at oh. the young age of 42. So, mm. um, it's just, like I said, interesting, just the way that life works and the way that memories come up, right? Because we were talking about yeah. Paul, which took me to the memory of him giving that gift to me. Um, and of course, mm-hmm. what you all don't know and had no way of knowing is that um, he visited me in my dream last night. Like he was, we had some time together in my dream last night. Um, and mm-hmm. it's interesting. I haven't even told my wife this, um, but it was just a very sweet moment. Um, and I have a lot of those um, with him which is really interesting. Um, of course, at the time when he passed, we were not 
in a good place. We were not on good terms, right? Mm-hmm. We had three teenagers together. Um, and me and two of the kids were living with um, my wife in, in Georgia, in Atlanta, and he was living in Texas. And then our oldest was in college in Texas um, mm. when we got the call in November 13th of 2016 that he had passed away in his sleep of a heart attack is what we would later mm. call that he had a heart attack. So all of that to say, you know, I experience what I call ex-wife grief, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Strange thing. I think, I think, you know, so many folks have experienced divorce, whether they have personally experienced it or they're, you know, um, products of divorced families. I don't call them broken homes. Um, because I believe that in so many cases, the, the brokenness was when two people who no longer are on the same path and are no longer partnering and, and being in unity with one another, that's more broken than for them to separate mm-hmm. and, and find find themselves again and find yes. places where they can be healthy um, as individuals, as a part, and as opposed to being mm-hmm. broken individuals in this relationship together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. and at the same time, I acknowledge it, it, it shredded, it destroyed us and, and, and a family unit. It destroyed our family, you know, mm-hmm. him and our kids. And we've all had to cope with that, right? We've all had to... Mm-hmm. Um, and the kids, of course, are the ones who suffer the most, right? And so, you know, yeah. today our children are 19, 21, and 23. And, you know, and so I, I have these three young people who are figuring out their place in the world and figuring out who they are and what that looks like. And in some ways, I get to be a part of that. In other ways, I don't get to be a part of that. Um, you know, so it's, it is this very unique time as a parent um, mm. of allowing my kids to be allowing them to mm. be their own adults and, and, and stepping back, you know, there's, I'm having to learn that dance of when is it appropriate for me to, you know, I, I wouldn't say insert myself, but, you know, allowing just, just being okay with and yeah. learning how to be in their lives to the extent that they want me to be and not to be in their lives to the extent that they don't want me to be because it's their life. Right. I was, texting my oldest yesterday. I actually never even sent the text because I wanted to word it differently. But I said to her, I am a human being who just happens to be your mother. You know, Mm. we're having some challenges, right? Um, And I just, all of that to say on top of just them trying to figure out life and them coming from um, a home, not only where their parents were divorced, but their father passed away unexpectedly at a young age. So they're dealing with all of that. Um, but all of that to say, you know, my, I can, I can't speak to them and what their journey has been like. Of course, I can tell you it's been hard and difficult, but mm-hmm. I can, what I can share with you just from my perspective is that I carry what I call ex-wife grief. And it's been this thing that is odd and unusual because, you know, I, I acknowledge and I have to admit that if he was still here with us, we would very likely still be in a very difficult place, right? Yeah. You know, you know, two divorced people trying to have as little to do with one another as possible, but we've got three kids, right? So you're kind of yeah. forced into that. And then to have him pass away without the opportunity to get our shit together, right? And figure out how can we offer one another forgiveness and how can we receive forgiveness and how can we just find some peace?
And so while that wasn't something that we were able to give each other when he was still alive, that is something that I believe we have given each other now that he mm. isn't there anymore. Mm. What a gift. You bring up so many points there and, and so uh, talk about the evolution of there's just so much that I'm like trying. To, I, I want to bring out just from all of that. Um, but first, thank you for sharing that mm-hmm. so openly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, two, I can relate not through necessarily the loss portion of that, but being in relationship to someone where you have to be in relationship with them, but you're still in that process of making amends and you don't know mm-hmm. if those amends will ever be made. And and that looks like for me, the relationship between me and my mother, uh, off, mostly because of my sexuality and leaving the, the church that I grew up in as a Jehovah's Witness. And I know ultimately, you know, that we're good, but my faith has had to grow and transition into such a space to be okay not being okay mm-hmm. in the present reality of things. Being mm-hmm. okay saying that it is healthy that we spend this time apart, mm-hmm. but know that I we're going to do what we need to do to make sure that we provide for each other and the things that we created together. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much for just sharing that and, and talking so openly about it because I think so many, especially even our listeners, are in that process of grief. And what yeah. does it look like to to be in relationship with people that you don't necessarily mesh well with mm-hmm. and then or who you haven't made amends with and they're no longer here to, mm-hmm. to make amends with you? And I think that there's something very spiritual that there's a scripture in Romans that talks about like death being the end of, uh, of things and this forgiveness like sort of coming over. And every tradition that I've been able to glean from, uh, whether it be the Mayan tradition. And they look at death as this beautiful thing of like, in death, there is no, death is this new rebirth, that there's no grudges, that there, that we, when we Mm. enter this rebirth of death, that Mm -hmm. we enter into pure love, into pure Mm -hmm. bliss. And we recognize that the, the tensions and the arguments that we thought matter all of a sudden, they just don't matter Mm -hmm. as much. Mm -hmm. So. Well, and I'd love to kind of go with that a little bit more. Yeah. Because I, I, I believe that the way there's so much that, that you just said that I want to respond to as well. Um, <laughs> I think I want to kind of go to the death and the grief piece a little bit, that, that separation, that, the finality of death and mm-hmm. what it used to mean for me when I was growing up in the church and kind of the way mm-hmm. that death was presented compared to what I feel about death today, which is why I believe that I have, that I'm able to, and I have been able to open up a new channel of a relationship with my ex-husband who is no longer here. And I feel like that's got to sound strange, but I believe that as much, I believe that the relationship that I have with him today and the place uh, of peace that we have come to together is as real as Mm. the fact that I'm having this conversation with both of you right now. Um, Mm. All of that to say, Death was always something to be afraid of in yeah from 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 the, my religious upbringing. Death had to do with the very uh, you you got two options: you got heaven and you got hell. 
And while we believe that we were saved, I was taught we were saved by grace. That has nothing to do with how hard you have to work for that grace. That's right. 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 (laughs) And you know, that grace, it it might, the salvation piece might be free. Maybe, you know, we can say, but (laughs) everything else has to be bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus over and over. I thought like you could not do enough to, you know, to absolve yourself of guilt and to make yourself in right standing with this, you know, omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipresent, Mm -hmm. all powerful, Mm -hmm. all knowing, Mm holy God. Right. Um, yep. and then, you know, so I, I'm in a, I'm in this interest, I'm in this place where I'm so grateful now because it, it really was traumatizing, um, mm-hmm. to yeah. live with the concept, the daily concept and knowing that I could anger this all powerful God. I could be doing something, even though again, there's that disclaimer that it's it's free and you can't lose it everything that we were taught and all of the messaging that we received was that you you're you're a recipient of grace we're a product of grace therefore we need to be doing x y and z to prove that we're grateful for our salvation and all of this all this to say it kept me while i was fortunate enough to be among the um predestined for heaven right while that was for uh, good for me sucks for everybody else that wasn't yeah yeah right <laughs> yeah yeah i still <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that, that's like theology right it, 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 you're you're calling it out. You're just like I'm over here going, Amen, 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 Amen. Girl, you better preach a word this from this morning too. <laughs> I mean, we're laughing because it's true. Like, sucks for you. So it was like this. It was this. I'm supposed to be grateful that I received the gift of salvation and I get to spend eternity in heaven, and somehow forget a, and and somehow be emotionally detached from the reality that there is a now again as a fundamentalist. We didn't believe that hell was a figurative place. It was a literal location, a lake and fire where you would spend eternity if you did not accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So Mm -hmm. I was caught up in that. That's where I stayed. So I I will say to the people who knew, well, nobody that I knew back from my old church days still knows me now or associates with me now because I am 100% born again heathen. Um, You know, I've been and you know, uh, it's just that's a whole other thing. I am estranged from my father because of my sexuality as well, Tommy. So I can um, completely relate to that. Um, And and while I have some family members who um, accept me, air quotes, I'm I'm using with my hands there, Mm -hmm. um, my very clean, overly washed hands. I, I, there, I, you know, there's a a great deal of separation that I've experienced from my family Mm -hmm. and the church in particular, um, due to the fact that I am a queer woman and I am Mm -hmm. married to another woman. So, um, I think all of that to say, I was very caught up with the, with, with hell and to the point where when I began my process of unraveling from Mm -hmm. Christianity, the thing that lingered the longest was my fear of hell. 
Yeah. Mm. And, and that actually is where, I mean, and I'm just barely removed from that fear, right? Like I'm just, I still, I'm, I'm 42, almost 43 year old woman. And it is, it is still, it, it, not today, thankfully, I don't struggle with it today, but it was something that up until recent years, I wasn't sure. Um, and as a matter of fact, I don't, I have not had a, I've not been on speaking terms with my father for about three years. And he called me last year at some point, kind of late at night. I was already in bed and I was asleep. And I, of course, I saw his name come on the phone mm-hmm. and I answered it. Uh, hopeful, well, worried yeah. that something was wrong, but also yeah. hopeful that he wanted to have this conversation of reconciliation. And it was simply, he was in torment and just really was afraid for my soul. And he was begging me to repent and come back and all of these things. And so in that moment, the, I could almost feel the flames of, of hell, you know, under mm. my feet. And that, that's how it feels. That, that is the, so when I say traumatizing, that's why I use that word. Um, mm. Because I think. No, it's, spir- it's spiritual trauma. No doubt. Like yeah. it's a trauma bond that's created with religion. Yeah. 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 And, and that's not something that I had language for, for a long time. Right. Um, I'm, I'm you know, didn't expect and, and know how, where this conversation would go. So I love that this is, you know, a part of it that that's just real. And with regards to where that, to bring us back to where I am now, and this is where I'm, I'm incredibly grateful because I am not afraid anymore. Mm. I'm not afraid of, of death. Uh, and, 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 and because I'm not afraid of death, that also means that I'm not afraid to live. And so now yeah. I live free. Mm. I live free free and I get to be me. And, Mm. and I know that death is just a transition into the next part. It's just the next thing. I remember I've always felt that this, my, my inner self kind of, you know, I don't want to get too metaphysical, but I've, I've always felt like the inner voice. Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. We're, we're, We're hashtag embodiment. Let's, you know, let's okay. hashtag woo. Here we go. Yeah. I mean, I already have our sage all over the place. So it's like, yeah. I thought it was marijuana, yeah. but it wasn't. But right. <laughs> but like, yeah, like I've always, even as a little, as, as a, at a very young age, I remember thinking to myself, this is the dream that we're going to wake up from one day. This meaning life, like this, there, there's, there's like a veil, you know, and this is not something that I yeah. just, again, just knowing in, inside of myself that there is more than this. Mm. Um, and, and that more, I remember being raised to believe that my, our purpose in life, why we were created was to glorify God. Mm. And I feel differently about that because I don't, you know, the, it, the whole concept of God is different for me today and now. Um, but at the same time, when that was given to me as the ultimate, you know, we're attaining to glorify him and mm-hmm. all that we're doing. Um, I, I remember that feeling so small. I remember that feeling stifling a little bit. Like I just like, mm-hmm. it, it just... And, it, and of course, set me on a very specific course and path, right? Yep. So then that, that just fed into the conditioning that, you know, um, would be, I am going to be a godly wife and I'm going to be the Proverbs 31 and have the, you know, and, and raise my children and be submissive to my husband. And so these are things that you don't question. 
Um, yeah. These are things yep. that you don't analyze. Um, and so that's what I did. My mother was a wonderful, godly woman that I looked up to, and she was fucking miserable. Yeah, yep. so was mine. Yeah, yeah. Mine yep. too. And, and not only that, it was I when we bringing in a conversation about gender roles, my mother has always had a very dominant personality, but tried to fit into a system that said, you must not be dominant, you must be submissive. And her light shines when she is leading. My mother is easily the backbone of our family, but she has been socialized into an institution and structure that says, you must be this way. So. So therefore, the message is you cannot be yourself. You do not have permission to be yourself. And I just see the damage and trauma that that caused in her life and by extension, my life, my, my siblings' lives. Um, and there was no, I, I was talking to a, a dear friend of mine, that God for me to begin to enjoy life, that God had to die. And so even, even my concept of God today, when people ask me what I think about God, and I go, God for me is simply where the answers stop and the mystery begins. Hallelujah, say it again. You know, mm-hmm. amen, like Seriously, God, say it again. <laughs> God, it, God for me is where the answers stop and, and the mystery begins. And so when I still hold that notion that our purpose is to glorify God, but because we breathe, because yes. we are, we are living testaments and glory to God. And we get to be in community and express that. And then when it is when we are in community, when we are in service to each other, that mm-hmm. we are experiencing God in those moments. And we are seeing God in those moments. Oh, amen, amen. And we are seeing yes. God in everyone else. Yes. We'll see you back for part two.